that is the charm of, of YouTube and Zoom is they let you know when you're in your own channel. I'm like, oh, <laughs> mama's home. Yay. Yeah, she is. Yes, I'm feeling fierce today. I'm feeling this Mars and Aries. How is this working for you? I am feeling it too. Uh, Mars just left my eighth house. Thank God. So I'm definitely in that energy of like, you know what? And I'm here with you. So I'm glad we're on that same page. <laughs> that is so funny because Mars is over here just running and rolling all over my Venus in the eighth house, making Ooh. its way. And I tell you what, you know, not to TMI, but last night I was like, Josh, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like i'm trying to do the dishes i'm like we don't need clean dishes right yeah clean dishes you oh my god <laughs> yes no i love everything about that. did you know actually i shit you oh am i allowed to curse let me not yes, let me okay i'll be careful though um did you know that actually heterosexual women are the most drawn to their heterosexual male counterparts when they're doing anything involved in chores or caregiving okay. Oh, absolutely. Are you joking? He is so funny because he's like, you know, trying to plan the super romantic moment and stuff. Right. And then he's like, oh, and I picked up this little air fryer thing for you. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> Did you get me a domestic gift? You better, ooh, ooh. Let me send your mom a quiche. Just say thank you. I love it. I yeah. love it. Oh, there's Dad, always chemistry. Go ahead. There's always. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to this morning's Eat and Greet. We're already clearly in the Mars and Aries fire energy of the day. And today, this talk is going to be fire. We're going to yes. talk about relational houses. So hopefully, you've grabbed your chart. You have your snack. And you're going to sit in. And I brought you a little snack. I'm so excited. From Queer Cosmos, we have Colin Bedell. Welcome, my beautiful friend. Oh, thank you so much, Stormy. It's an honor to be here, and I'm so glad that we get to work together. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. It was so fun. I saw um, that you were on the Norwalk list and did your talk and everything, and I was like, well, hold on. Uh, must know. I must go get that person to come share with us. So it is just as much an honor to have you here. Yes, thank you. And we will be talking about the similar content that I presented at Norwalk, kind of on the relational houses and a continuation of a method actually by a guest you already had by the name of Stephen Forrest and his concept of the arc of intimacy. And I'd like to, hopefully, if we have enough time in this uh, conversation, to bring the relational houses to evidence-based research within relational psychodynamics so that we can talk about spirituality and the content of these relational houses and then bring it to secular psychological terms to make it more practically applied. Absolutely. Well, so everybody bustle in, but first some house cleaning today is like I said, just fire. It is just fire. We've got Colin right now. And then tonight we've got Gary Caton and Christopher Renstrom coming back. And we're going to do the astrology of China and just lay that out. This is, I'm pumped about that as well. And all week long, we've got good stuff. Tony will be here on Wednesday. Tammy will be here on Friday. And then we'll jump into the guests coming next week. So the eat and greets, the learning, the opportunity to sit and to dive in, maybe even to ideas you haven't thought of yet are definitely up abundant and available for you. So so make sure you are going back through the Eat and Greet playlist as well and checking that out. And if you are listening today on the podcast, if you give us the stars up, that would be brilliant. Colin, my man, stars. with this, <laughs> with your absolute Leo rising shirt. I just ah, cannot. I, I love it. And I have a dress that looks like that. Oh my God. And when you, me, and Maria Di Simone do our Italian thing, we're all going to be giving the patterns, honey. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. We were laughing before because I was saying, you know, I think I'm deep down Italian because I see things posted like on their Facebook. And I'm like, well, how come nobody told me we were eating? Why wasn't I invited? I don't even know these people. Like, I have just invited myself into your Italian life. Well, uh, you are more than, you have an open invitation. So clearly it was a soul resonance. And I think there's something really amazing. I'm going to give all the credit to Maria here. She does create family wherever she goes. And she has an energy of like, just welcome and invitation. Like she's like mom, you know, just opening the door. Come on in. I'm going to feed you. And she was like my first introduction to a professional astrologer. And that's left a lasting impression on me ever since. Yeah. And tell us a little bit as we jump in here, what was your path through astrology and how'd you land? And then we'll jump into the topic. Yeah. So I actually never had an intention of becoming a professional astrologer because it was just something that I loved and it was a hobby, I'm sure for you as well. And then when I started to enter my early twenties, it just became something I was talking about often. 
I was studying fashion at Parsons School of Design, which is a, a creative and very spiritual place. And my professors were telling me like, we're so glad you're here, but why aren't you doing astrology? So academia was even telling me, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And also I came from kind of a lower income family. And so the idea of being self-employed as an astrologer, like I couldn't even possibly consider the residents of that. It wasn't as if my family told me you couldn't. I just had no examples. I had no demonstration of that, even though I was surrounded as I grew up uh, with professional astrologers, right? And so in my late 20s, I went to Norwalk uh, as a Bridging Divide Scholar. Thank you very much, Sam Reynolds, with my best friend, Christina Shinyi-Mui. And we started the website called Queer Cosmos to explore astrology through a queer lens and also through universal spiritual themes just so that we could have one place to put it. Because obviously, I'm not the first or last or the only queer astrologer. It was just a lane that I wanted to explore with my friends based on our experiences living in New York City and the tools that we used to navigate that time. And so that was uh, June of 2017. I was fired from my day job two weeks later after I launched the website. And then that's when I knew, all right, I guess I'm going to swan dive into this thing. And I was on unemployment from the good old state of New Jersey. And on the last week of unemployment, Stormy, I got my first literary contract. That's crazy. And, and if that is not like, I'm going to just say it, like my God is an awesome God. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew right away, like, okay, I, this is where I belong. And it's just seized me ever since. Yeah. Brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And so how did, how did you land at this particular topic that we're diving into today? Yeah. What, what brought this home for you? Yes, Virgo rising. Um, so I need the details. My, yeah, honey. No, me too. I'm Virgo South Node, so I'm with you. Uh, well, because in, when I was writing my second book, Queer Cosmos, I was trying to research, like, what exactly is going on in this moment? Like, how can my book contribute to this experience? I want it to be evergreen, but I want it to be time sensitive to this moment. And because of my Parsons education, they trained us in research. They trained us in how to investigate qualitative analysis and data. And in all of the research, Stormy, every single theorist and, and author that I admire was saying, our life, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships, mm. period. And also, the single greatest public health crisis pre-COVID is loneliness. Mm. Because in the absence of socialization, there is always cardiovascular and cognitive decline. So this is not just like a preference. Like, wouldn't it be nice if I was surrounded by people? No, we are hardwired for connection. It's in our DNA. And so what I knew there was, okay, this is a lane that I am deeply fascinated by. And to be very honest with you, I was uh, unimpressed, honestly, with a lot of the analysis within the astrological community around relationships. I found it to be very simplistic, like a binary of good or bad compatibility. Like, who are you to say that? Right. You know, I always felt an intellectual rejection towards that. And so I landed in the field of relational sciences because there's a wealth of information from couples counselors, from researchers, from social scientists. And I said, you know, I'd really actually like to put the leading evidence-based research in conversation with astrology to update, to fact check for accuracy, because people are looking at astrologers now more than ever. And if we're not addressing relationships and loneliness, I don't know how often we are rising to the occasion. Right, right. And so that's how I got here. Brilliant. All right. Well, the, the fans are saying hello and they love your shirt. Of course. <laughs> Thank you for appeasing my Leo rising. Now I can relax. I know. It's like, <laughs> let me give the drama with Stormy in this fucking pattern. <laughs> so here we are and here we go. Okay, I love it, go ahead. Brilliant, let's jump in, let's talk about this. Let's talk about these relational houses. So guys, hopefully you have your charts down there or you know your chart yes. well enough. If you don't, you can always, just for the sake of this class, you can um, pull a free chart, go to astro.com, Cafe Astrology, any one of those so you can look along as we're talking along. Yeah. Right, over well, you. Okay. Well, once again, I want to lean uh, really on the research of Stephen Forrest here, who has developed this notion of arc of intimacy. And he is an evolutionary astrologer. I know he's been one of your guests before, so I want to give credit to his contribution in this arena. And his idea is that houses four, five, six, seven, and eight really tell the story of our highest relational outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. which makes a lot of sense. We look at the Western Hemisphere base and it's all relation. 
it's all relation, exactly. And so I think what's beautiful about that is I consider, okay, well then, would we not even also need to look at the charts of our beloved if the charts of our beloveds already live within us? Mm. Right? Of course we can, you know, just as astrologers, like, oh, isn't this cool? But I just, I love the idea of their chart is already in mine because I always try to bring it back to like a unity consciousness point of view. And so the fourth house will begin there. I call the fourth house the house of relational dowry. So as many couples, counselors, and therapists know, immediately if you're trying to investigate the quality of a person's mental health, they're going to look at adult attachment. <clears throat> they're going to look at, you know, okay, so tell me about your family. And I know it's almost like a cliche at this point, but that's, that's a really solid psychological foundation because what the trained mental health professional or astrologer is trying to do is understand, were you raised for autonomy or were you raised for loyalty? Were you raised for suspicion? Were you raised for trust? Sure. Right? And we had to come back to that root pattern anyways to see where it all began because as astrologers, we follow patterns. Yeah, right. Pattern recognition. And I know the Virgos and us love that. Like, oh, and that connects here, right? And so I think it's important as astrologers to help people understand the relational nature of the fourth house because as Stephen said, is there more of a relational word than home? Mm. Right? And I don't think so. And so I think the fourth house has a lot to do with, based on our family of origin, based on our parents, how do we look for and search for romantic partners, right? And this also goes back to the work of Dr. Harville Hendricks and his wife, Dr. Helen Kelly Hunt. They are the founders of the Imago Institute. And what they've been able to determine is that the subconscious mind develops almost like a heat-seeking missile stormy, a collection of images that will remind us of our caregivers, and we're going to look for present adult partners that remind us of home. Yeah. And now that's complicated and interesting because what it says is that in adult relationships, we have the opportunity to heal from the love and the loss of childhood. Mm. And the then table. that, right, it's right there. And if we have that orientation, then we kind of have a different set of tools because then we understand look, there's going to be a lot of kicking and screaming because we're going to bring up childhood stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But theoretically, if we have that container of trust and commitment, we're going to allow this relationship to heal rather than ask other people to serve my needs as I define them based on the love I was not given in the past. Absolutely. That is exactly at the container of trust. I think when we bring the relationships down to in every relationship and in every interaction, yes. I am working out evolutionary um, contracts with other people. Yeah. I'm working on healing and they are working on it with me as well. We have agreed to safely grow together or not. Beautiful. I right. not safely grow and I got to go. <laughs> and if you and our partner, Stormy, don't necessarily have the willingness or the desire to stay, mm -hmm. we can't have them stay either, right? And I read somewhere, I forgot where, so forgive me that I can't it, but that free will was like the universe's or God's most loving gift to us. Mm -hmm. Isn't that? I know. I just. I know. It's not brilliant. I know. I just, and that's what I've been thinking about too for relationships. And now, for people who are connecting to this concept around the fourth house, around the anchor, emotional safety and stability, and you want to take it to uh, a psychological point of view, I recommend the book Attached: The New Science of Adult Attachment, How It Can Help Keep and Find Love, and that's by Amir Levine and Rachel S. F. Heller. Oops, and the second comments. Here we go. And the second one is the intentional family, how to build family ties in our modern world, right? And so the fourth house connecting to those questions around what Esther Perel asks in terms of, were you raised for suspicion or were you raised for trust? You're going to want to connect that to your erotic blueprint because the notion of the fourth house is, show me how you were loved as a child and I'll show you how you make love as an adult. Brilliant. And we're always going to want, not immediately, right? Unless, hey, if the first date's going really well, ask these open-ended questions to partners to get a story of where they came from. You know, ask and see where that goes. Because then you're, what you're doing very early on is creating a culture in the relationship of disclosure, yeah. of, of curiosity, right? And I think it's important for us to understand that really the past does tend to repeat in the present moment because the Course in Miracles says all life is is a set of lessons faithfully rehearsed, mm -hmm. right? Hello, pattern recognition. Pattern right? recognition, yeah, right? right? Yes. We don't have to like continue to create um, the same situations over and over and over again. You can actually find one 
and do some learning and some healing in it so that it's yes. not like, you know, creating patterns of whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, but certainly patterns of wreckage, right? That's a, essentially, that's a it's like, thing. it's the same person. They just have on a different shirt. <laughs> yes. And I think it was Oprah who said, they come back around wearing a different pair of pants, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, you know? And so, but when they come around, similarly, the opportunity for us becomes, okay, who am I going to be differently while I'm in the space of what's happening in the relationship? Mm-hmm right? And what you were saying around healing, we want to remember that healing and growth, it's uncomfortable, it's messy, and it's very complicated. So when partners bring up, oh my God, this reminds me of daddy. Oh my God, this reminds me of mommy. Oh my God, this reminds me of all the love I never received. That is actually an indicator of like healthy compatibility and because again, you got to have that willingness. Are you willing to do that work? Are you willing to deep dive? But I think that a lot of the false assumptions around compatibility storming is predicated on the entitlement and comfort. Oh, yeah. Right? Go ahead. Tell me about it. No, I was just thinking about that, too, because in many different um, synastry appointments I've sat in, it's like, this is just your glimpse into, are you willing to do the work? That's it. Because this could look like, to me... Oh, you both have different elemental moons. That's going to be a challenge. But what else are you doing here? And not every relationship is anchored into romance and comfort. Sometimes it is just anchored into the agreement of partnership. And that is strong enough. Right, yes. Build beautiful lives on because they're going to do real work. Yes. Are you thinking of Saturn to that point as I show you my Saturn tattoo of like grounded in the, in the trust and commitment, right? You know what I was actually thinking of? Oh, Neptune. Yeah, I was thinking of oh. Neptune. Where does this show up where no matter what happens in here, you're going to unfold and be vulnerable, but offer unconditional love? Because this other mm. person that you dance with, whether it's business or romance, they're just growing up in public just like you are. Ooh. That's a space for unconditional love. Yes, yes, yes. That, and if that's not the peak that we're all trying to get to, like, again, I don't know if we're really utilizing our spiritual and secular tools as wisely as we ought to be. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sing it, I know, sister. right? This is so good. <laughs> and now I'll go to the fifth house. Um, and on that note, I just want to say, uh, really do the time to understand your erotic blueprint as evidenced by Esther Perel. I think she's uh, a couples therapist who really helps people ask themselves, like, the questions around, was I rejected, humiliated, held, or abandoned? Did I learn not to expect too much, right? Did I turn to parents for protection or did I flee to protect myself? These histories will repeat in the present moment because time is perennial. And when we understand that, then we're operating with a different level of sensibility and orientation in adult relationships, mm-hmm. right? So now we'll go to the fifth house. Now, Stormy, I w- I'd love to riff with you here. What key words come to mind when you think of the content of the fifth house? Oh, yeah. So first of all, children, I always think of that. But this yeah. is, for me, the joy house. This is joy. This is pleasure. But it's risk. This is a house for me that involves Beautiful. a fair amount of risk because you got to step off the ledge a little bit to get to whatever is you're trying to get to. And yes. that's, that's risky. Relationships are risky. You might see me. You might know me. Right? Mm. I might see you. I might know you. Beautiful. I, well, stuff. I feel very seen and known by you in this moment. Let me tell you. Okay, you're coming at me with, I love your shirt. So, but I'll say, I think totally the fifth house is joy. I write that often. Um, and I've also started to just connect the fifth house around naming it as vulnerability, right? Mm. Because as defined by Brene Brown, vulnerability are three things risk, like you said beautifully, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And she also writes in The Gifts of Imperfections that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, creativity, and empathy. And there is risk in in joy, right? Because as you were saying, you might see me. And joy is terrifying because it's fleeting. It's not permanent. Mm -hmm. So we often think, of course, I just want to be happy. But do we really? Right. Because we love the devil we know. And we love certainty. We love binary thinking. We love self-preservation rather than self-disclosure. 
And to get to joy, you have to be in self-disclosure. And that's why I connect the fifth house to vulnerability. And I also can, uh, wrote uh, the definition of romance from a research article because in true Capricorn moon fashion, nothing gets me romantically stimulated like clinical research. And <laughs> I think every Cap moon or Capricorn influenced person stormy is a little Vulcan. We're very, <laughs> like, you know, like emotional stoicism, <clears throat> but we love it. So the definition of romance as defined by Arthur Aaron is one key pattern associated with the development of a close relationship among peers is sustained, escalating, reciprocal, personalistic self-disclosure. Self-disclosure. Self-disclosure, exactly. And so connecting it to the evidence-based work, right? Because again, if people are hearing self-disclosure for the first time, they're like, well, thank you, but what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Right. So I believe that the Gottman Institute's uh, symbol of the love map is essential. So the Gottmans are uh, real pioneers of the relational sciences. They've been studying couples out of the University of Washington uh, since the early 70s. And this was at the time when the department chairs of psychology were like, why do you want to study couples? There's what you get. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> what else to do? Right. I know. Couldn't you maybe, you know, study neuroscience more? And they were like, actually, no, we're going to figure something out. And so they developed this notion of the love map for, you know, after 30, 40, 50 plus years of, of research and having a detailed love map, according to the Gottman's work, involves the cognitive room where you can express a genuine interest in your partner. It means making plenty of mental space to, short, to store information about their personal opinions, preferences, quirks, dreams, and fears. So the love map, it's, it's that, that space in the brain where you store important information about the key facts of your loved ones as provided through self-disclosure. Mm. Now, what that would look like too on a behavior choice is to make 50% of all dialogue with romantic partners an open-ended question. Yeah. Because most of us communicate in broadcast statements, monologues, PR announcements, Right? You know, the, I talk, you talk, but we don't talk, you're not asking questions. And it really is as simple as that. And just being open to questions approximately 50% of the time to get a glimpse of your partner's interior world. Mm-hmm. And that's what contributes to self-disclosure, right? And the two books that I actually have in reference to that would be The Gifts of Imperfection. So that's oh, the, I love that book. Let's go, Brene. We love her so much, right? Yeah. Let, of what you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. And then the second book I put in was by Esther Perel and it's Mating Captivity on Neuronic Intelligence. Okay. And the reason why I put it in there is because, you know, as a couples therapist, I think she gives us the framework to investigate and deconstruct the complications involved with risk in relationship. But then she connects it and your Taurus son's going to love this. She says that our capacity embrace uncertainty is directly related to the level of passion in a relationship oh yeah right risk i know your taurus is like oh yeah i do that at bones right but (laughs) my gemini booty i'm like no i must ask and i need to get to the bottom of this what is the mystery i must solve right and so actually it's like colin slow your roll this isn't you know uh, sherlock holmes just uh, (laughs) leave the uncertainty for a little bit yeah. also allow for self-disclosure, always both end rather than not only but also. So any thoughts or feedback about the fifth house for the arc of intimacy, Stormy? Oh man, I just think it's, you know, the fifth house is the jumping off place for negotiations. It really, to me, is because there's just so much I, I find too when people are really in the self-disclosure. Part of the unknown is that you might say something that challenges mm. And then what do I do with that? Because I don't even know how to disagree with you and still be really deeply connected to you. So there, Mm. I mean, intimacy, you see into me. This is, ugh, it's delicious. It is, yes. And I love, I can't enough that you immediately said the fifth house also is risk. I loved you really made that kind of both intention of, you know, both, hello, we have this ingredient around self-disclosure and there is risk attached to that and joy. And if we don't know how to calibrate like left foot, right foot, we're in a complicated space. Mm-hmm. But no, I love that you mentioned that. So, and now we'll go to the sixth house, right? Because what fascinates me about the sixth house is if I understood uh, Stephen's initial forecast well, 
he actually didn't immediately think the sixth house was a relational house. Makes sense. That's yeah, why how would you could how you could miss it because it just seems like it and on a surface to disassociate with it. It's like, oh, this is my mundane things. How I do this, how I do this, how I do this. Right. However, what I think about it today is way before the health and the wellness and all this other stuff, the sixth house is a house of service. And if I got to be in relation, I'm going to be in service to this relationship because when I show up out of service to my relationships, I'm just showing up for me, right? But if I show up in service to the relationship, I'm here actually yeah. to see what you need. And by yeah. giving to you, my needs will be met. It, say that one more time, Stormy, by giving, go ahead, say it again. Yes, by giving to you my needs will be met. 100%. And I want to say that connects to an adage in The Course in Miracles, which is that the spiritual seeker is generous out of self-interest mm -hmm. because I only, I only keep what I give away. Absolutely. You got to give it away to keep but, it. Yes, yes. And yet we say that as like, oh, of course, you know, astrologers, this makes sense. But in dominant social conditioning, Stormy, how much of that unlearning do you have to do with your clients come to you for sign injury reports? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a ton. And it's not a, um, it's not a like faulty thing. It's a, right. we're here to unlearn, relearn, discover, discard all sorts of things. Yes, yes, yes. And that notion of, I will wait and see before, you know, before I disclose, there's no vulnerability there. There's no preservation. You can put a lot of different sprinkles on it, but if you are doing something that is not risky, then it's not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so go ahead. yeah, and I would also think too that in the sixth house, because I equate a fair amount of mental health in the sixth house as well as applicable to the daily routine, and I think that that carries a fair amount of vulnerability in relationships because I have to be honest and I have to take care of myself in a daily way. I can't be meditating once a week. I have got to get in and get serious about my practice of daily living to be fit enough to show up to be of service to this planet. 100%, I am co-signing and loving it. I'm gonna get a tattooed on my chest, Yay. right? Because I actually love this sixth house, even though like it is considered like the mundane, the boring house. My moon is there. I totally understand the value of routine on the quality of mental health, right? And how it connects to relationships is very much what Stormy said insofar as, and this has been researched ad infinitum by clinical psychologists, is that the partner we choose has a direct impact on the quality of our immune system. Mm. Mm. Makes total so, sense. Total sense. And of course, again, all of this should be making sense because it lines up with the sense of astrology. So if the sixth house, if we can reduce it to one quick word, health, right, wellness, right, then obviously it is a relational home because the, the quality of our relationships impacts our health. Why? Because if the stress hormone cortisol is running havoc in your body because of the stress of a relationship, that's going to make you susceptible to opportunistic infection. That's going to make you a person who does not have the strength of an immune system to protect you from other things. And so obviously, if there's too much stress because of a relationship, you will feel it in your body. And the body doesn't lie. Yep. We love to lie to ourselves, but the body doesn't lie, right? And so that's why trusting that intelligence. And in the, in the Gottman Institute, their, their primary quote is small things often. Mm. And I love that because how sixth house is that? Yeah. Right? Small, small things, things Small things often in terms of paying attention to the small things, giving the small things, giving gratitude for receiving the small things, right? Because their evidence-based framework that I want to connect to the sixth house is no, a notion uh, called the bid for connection, Stormy. Mm -hmm. So what they've been able to determine in studying couples for so long is that when a couple is uh, called a relationship disaster, it's because they accept less than 33% of a bid for connection. Mm -hmm. And a bid for connection is a nonverbal or verbal cue for closeness, right? So if you and I were married in a parallel universe, if only I could be so lucky... <laughs> Well, right? that's both ways. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, okay. Well, who knows, right? So therefore, if we were married in a parallel universe and you were cluing me for closeness, which could be, a, you know, an exasperated sigh, or, hey, honey, look at this, right? But I'll do the nonverbal one because as a Gemini, that's harder for me to pick up on. 
right? Sure. So if you, <laughs> right? Like, unless you're like, excuse me, Mr. Bedell, I need your attention at 12 o'clock PM. <laughs> right? So the Gemini V has to pay attention to the nonverbal signals, right? But if you were nonverbally signaling as a bid for connection, I have one of three options, according to the Gottmans, and it is turn against, which is, ah, why do you always come home in a bad mood? Mm. Turn, turn away, which is, oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I'm reading my book over here, and man, I got to get to the end of it. Right. right? Or turning towards, which is, honey, is everything all right? Mm-hmm. So turning towards after the bid for connection is what allows me to enter into the realm of a relational master. And according to the Gottmans, I have to accept no less than 88% of a bid for connection. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, go ahead. Tell me about your resonance for that. Cause I can yeah. do it in your, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just feeling it in, in every single one of those examples that you gave, I get the opportunity to practice a little bit of service to my partner, to my daily routine, to my job, to my, whatever my relationships are showing up there, which brings in this interesting key. I think that many religions across or many um, spiritual practices talk about, which is the idea of self-sacrifice. Like what if in this moment, it is not actually all about me? What mm. if, what if? Yes. Yes. I, I, I know. I wanted that to sit. Yes. And if that isn't the sixth house for me, what is? Yeah. I, cause the, the, right. And cause it's not all about me. And again, in the spiritual crowd, because the ego loves a chance to talk about itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this community is devoid of that. Oh, yeah. And I think we, right, you know, and so it's always important to remember if we're not encouraging ourselves and our clients to err on the side of service, we are giving other people license to be self-indulgent and all about me. And there yes. is no salvation there. Go ahead, sing it, sister. Yes, astrology <laughs> is a tool for a way in, not for a way out. Oh, is that you? Is that your quote? No, I heard that from Gemini Brett. And I don't know where he heard that from. Yeah, but he heard it from somewhere and brought it forward. And I was like, preach, Gemini Brett. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, use the power of the spoken word. I love it. It's absolutely true. And I think paying attention to those bids for connection are important. And the two uh, literature sources, if they wanted to, if your readers and viewers wanted to take that a step further, would be Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And that's by John Julie Gottman. And Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, 30 Minutes a Week for the Marriage You've Always Wanted. Mm. Right? So small things often, once again. And Stormy, I'll just say, I'm going to email you this framework companion with all this literature. You're welcome to type it. But I figured I'll make it very easy for you and just email it to you. Yeah, brilliant. And I'll make sure it's in the description box down below, guys, so you have access to all of these books. Yes, excellent. Thank you. And so, yeah, for the bid for connection, you're going to want to think about how do I know that I'm making a bid, right? How good am I at recognizing the difference between text and subtext, as I just said, as a Gemini person? Better at text, not so much subtext, right? What keeps me from making bids? What is my impulse for turning? Do I turn away or against more often than I turn towards? right? And what does it feel like for me when a partner doesn't accept a bit for connection? Mm. Something to think about, right? So, and that, this is why we connected to the house of health, because when we're at that 80%, 88% Mount Olympus, right? This is what gives us emotional regulation. This gives us emotional satisfaction, support, tranquility, calm, ease, right? Yeah. Because we're not so vigilant, right? We're totally vulnerable and connected to our partners, so I love the sixth house as a relational house, and I'm really glad that we can uh, create it as evidence-based. Anything to add or share before I go on to house number seven, Stormy? I think so. Let's go to the seventh house. Yes, everybody house. knows this as the relational house, right? They're like, oh, yes. all my relations. And I'm like, really? You want to step into that eighth house? But let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're like, yes, and wait a minute. Don't get cozy there. Okay. <laughs> and how am I doing on time? I just want to be respectful of our... Oh, yeah. We're beautiful. We're beautiful. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. So the seventh house, right? I also believe that it is a relational house and it is the house of trust, right? And so yes, eighth house is like the peak, right? Which means can't get there until trust is given and received. Mm -hmm. And now trust is one of those words we say often, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to other people, right? And so I love this quote by Adam Phillip. He said, trust is a word that we put too much trust in. Trust is a risk that masquerades as a promise. 
So you can see right here, right? Cardinal point after four, we've done four, five, and six. So therefore, we have the emotional safety. We have self-disclosure. I can engage in risk and I feel emotionally regulated. Boom. That's why I have achieved the seventh house quality knowing that, oh, I, I, yeah, I put a little too much trust in this word. It is risk masquerading as a promise. So what do I do? What does it look like? Yeah. Right. So anything to share, I can see a somatic response for you. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was thinking about when we talk about the seventh house and we kind of dull it down to the easy version of, yes, these are our relationships, you know, that's fine, but they're conscious chosen one-on-one relationships, which I think is a big deal there. And the energy of Libra is not innately just running around trying to partner up because it doesn't have anything to do. It is trying to express the evolution of the self coming to the end of the self and saying, I can only go so far on my own. Now I need to master the self in relation to consciously choosing another source to travel with. So this on an evolutionary level, I think is so much bigger than just, oh yeah, you're going to get married to that person who's weird. And you know, it's bigger than that. (laughs) 100%. Is your Mars in Libra, if I remember correctly? It is. That's right. Yes. I love it. So we're going through kind of a Mars opposition for you, but I love your Libra energy is really, I can see it radiating and I love it because it makes me think of what Esther Perel says in terms of when you choose a partner, you choose a story. Mm-hmm. So write well and edit often. Mm. That's, that's the seventh house for me. And actually what I do with the seventh house too is help my clients and readers feel comfortable-ish with conflict. Sure. Right, because as you, right, because I think Libra as the sign of justice, right? It has no problems laying down the law and saying, I am not okay with what just went down. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I like to remind people is that the natural choreography of relational dynamics is harmony, disharmony, repair. Absolutely. The seventh house is the house of your open enemies. And we take yeah, right. enemy to mean, oh, this is Susan from three cubes down who I don't like. No, <laughs> your partner, especially in consciously chosen relationships is going to walk you into yourself and you are going to bump up against yourself. And that is open enemy living. And yes. then you, what do you do? You're going to say F all your partners and run off. No, you can't be doing that. Right. You have to have the harmony. It's so good. Disharmony. And then go, Oh, I got to look at that. We got to look at that. Let's evolve. Yes. Cause yes. open enemy is, is the person in your house. I also will say this and get off the box, but I no stay on the box. This is your box. I'm a guest at your box, honey. Go ahead. (laughs) I also feel like because the seventh house is relational, I find the relationship of the person with their self and their creator lives here as well. Whatever they call that creative, intuitive tap down force, because I don't know how many times I've had to sit down and have a conversation with me as the open enemy and say, self, where are we at in this grounding force? Because we're off. We are not relating. I have been through seasons on this planet and I know that everybody has where I'm in that next Jupiter return and I am not the woman that I was six months ago. Who is she? How does she work? How do I relate with her? Conscious chosen relationship with myself and the self I think also lives here. So... Oh, no, I love that because it, no, I couldn't. Yes, 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 yes. Because it's also making me thinking about how, you know, the spirit of of God, divine universe, whatever language you use to understand these things, right? It's in everyone or it's in no one. Mm -hmm. And when it's in us and our relationship to the divine is aligned, therefore, if the divine is in all, my relationship with the divine is aligned, my relationship with all will be supported. Absolutely. And when the thing is going down that I find unacceptable, I will have the trust between myself and that power to say, I'm grounded enough to say, I don't agree with this, or I'm grounded enough to speak my truth. Yes. (laughs) I know. I'm just letting the yes. I wanted a little bit of a moment of silence, 100%. And that's what I love. I just want to say too about Taurus Sun, like, because they're like, I'm going to stay right here because I know where I stand. (laughs) You know, come see me when you're ready. But because I'm connected to that energy that is in me, but not of me, I'm good. Right. And I think that's why I bring up the notion of harmony, disharmony, repair, because Mm -hmm. this is where we're confronted with the fact that, all right, other people are not here to serve my needs as I define them. Absolutely. 
right? And so repair is actually where trust is given according to the research. And I found that fascinating because when I was doing the, the reading on it, I said, oh, it's got to be in harmony. Because it's like, you know, building up a stockpile, like, like a savings account, so that if you get hit with a debt, it can boop, take it, you know, not go in the red. But no, it's repair, which means what's the cost of admission for trust? Disharmony. Yeah. How often do we avoid disharmony? A ton. Right? <laughs> right. A ton. That a is a scientific term. A I, know, ton. A, I know, right? This is me doing my job. I listen to me, right? But truly, we, we avoid it regularly. Again, predicated on the false belief we're entitled to comfort in relationship, right? And so I tell my clients, listen, 69% of perpetual conflict in every relationship, according to the Gottman Institute, it's unsolvable. So you're only able to solve 31% of racket in every single relational dynamic. Yeah. But if you have that trust and you have those expectations managed and you're managing mutual expectations, it should theoretically give you the opportunity for mutual understanding. And so the Gottmans have a framework called how to repair a fight after a regrettable incident. Mm. Right? So it's phenomenal. And this is uh, in all of their work. So you can read it there. Um, and I believe for further literature, you may want to look up Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. And also Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples by Dr. Harville Hendricks and his wife, Helma Kelly Hunt. Okay. In a sense to understand then, okay, we had the regrettable incident. We're clearly bringing stuff up. What do we do? And according to the Gottmans, you share feelings, your interpretation of reality, which may or may not be accurate because feelings are not facts. Mm -hmm. Okay. The trigger. And that's according to the Gottmans, the most important quality. Because if we were a couple... I would go, okay, so wait, what did I do to trigger you? Because I didn't acknowledge your, <sighs> and then you would say, well, it's because my last partner did this and my mother always ignored my bits for connection. So it reminds me of all the shadow figures from the past. And then I, as a Gemini, have the data. I go, oh, that makes sense. So I got to make sure that I don't do that to you because it reminds you of that. So the trigger is really important. Yeah. And then the responsibility piece. Hello, Jupiter. Response. I have to say, <laughs> responsibility. Where's some accountability? Because you can't be Hello. over here breathing every five minutes, expecting the world to know that you need something. Right? Mercury yes. and Gemini. We got to say some things. Hello. Thank you. Right. Because say, say what you need. Use your words. Thank you so much. So the responsibility is there. And if I was your partner, I would have said, Stormy, I understand that, you know, the verbal cognition evacuated the premises, but I'm going to need you to maybe just have a notes file so that the next time you get emotionally compromised, you have these words ready to go. And it could simply be, Colin, I'm feeling emotionally upset right now. Can you sit with me for five minutes? Yeah. Because that is what the Gottman's call in step number five, the corrective plan. Mm -hmm, because so it's real we, easy from the presence of the seventh house to, I think, have the sense that it's like, yes, I am being divine. I am honoring these things. But it is easy to do that on your own on a mountaintop. Then we bring other people in and we get to navigate. But how? How? Well, it, as Esther Perel says all the time, it's very easy to be right and alone. Oh yeah. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Exactly. Okay. Go ahead. No, I love it. Exactly. Wait, so now I'm going to go to the eighth house and I would love to know actually, because you said, no girl, you really want to get to the eighth. How do you interpret the eighth? Yes. This is what we'll be talking about. Oh man, the eighth house for me. And actually in my practice, when we're talking about the timing of, you know, a significant relationship could come into your life, you know, Saturn crossing that descendant. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. But by the time I think that we're like, nope, I'm going to be serious with you. This is, this is the deal. Like I'm, I'm going all in. That I think happens in the eighth house. So when I look for significant timing of relationships with people, I really want to see some things hit this eighth house because this is where I know something has shifted and happened at a soulful level for them that they're going to be willing to unfold with this other person and really wow. not just have this idea of trust, but now we're going to get in here. And this in the eighth house is also the relational place where I think people are like, okay, you get to see my demons, right? Mm. I'm going to let you see my demons. I'm going to actually tell you about that trauma. Not yes. only that, in the eighth house, I'm going to tell you the things I haven't done well in life. I, I used to steal. Mm. I used to do whatever. Like in the eighth house, this house to me is so deliciously mm. intimate because I just feel like God, whatever you call it, 
touches the soul of the people here and they just unfold in a way that we don't in other relational houses. But also on a very practical level, this is where I decide I like you enough to let you touch my money and my body. And those are, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, because in the eighth house, the joint resource here is so intimate because it's like, literally, if you pull away from it, there will be an effect on me. Or if I pull away, I will affect you. And we think about the physical act of sex. When you disconnect, there's an effect, right? And you have left a chemical reaction between two people when you've had the physical action of sex and that changes a person's chemistry, at least for a few hours, right? Like you just get crazy, right? Or not, or blissful, however it works for you. But also in a financial piece, if you just run off with my money today or I run off with yours, we are going to create an immediate stamp that is so deep. Right? So there's just the eighth house, there's a lot that happens in the eighth house, but for me, I do tie it all into intimacy and delicious vulnerability here. Like, but I have, I have chosen here. Wow. I love that. Do you have Pisces somewhere? Oh, it lives in there somewhere. Okay. I, mean, I don't, I don't like have any, any planets there. Uh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. Cause you just took me to like the transcendence around that. So I was like, where is your, no, that I have Jupiter beautiful. Scorpio though, where I'm like, yeah, right. No wonder you love the eighth. Okay, I should have went in that direction. Amazing. No, that was beautifully, beautifully articulated. And for the purpose of this conversation, to uh, focus just primarily on the eighth house as desire, because everything that you said, Stormy, could not be better, right? What I like to do for this notion of the arc of intimacy is help people understand the mechanics of eroticism and desire. Mm, yeah. Right? right. So th- I bring in the equation by Jack Morin, who was a sexologist. And he said, attraction equals obstacle plus desire. Mm. Right? Yes. I, isn't that good? I don't know. Venus Aries. I literally just got a little excited. I was like, wait, <laughs> is this a challenge? And I have Venus Aries in the eighth house. I'm like, shall I hunt you today? Or Absolutely. I'm right here. Take me, honey. Okay. <laughs> I gladly submit, surrender and source power. No, and I see, and in your Venus and Aries way, it went to, ooh, obstacle, that turns me on. But there are a lot of placements where they would go, oh, obstacle, that's, I'm immediately going to assume rejection. Sure, sure. Right? And so I think it's important to remember that desire, according to all these researchers, is rooted in absence, longing, and distance. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so I think that's really powerful to think about, okay, how do we maintain eroticism and desire in presumably a long-term monogamous relationship? Because we live together, we share bills, like there's very little distance and there's very little absence here, right? So you could say, according to the work of Esther Perel and Jack Morin, that a crisis of desire is a crisis of imagination. Yeah. And so in the eighth house, I try to help my clients understand, how do you imagine sex? Mm-hmm. because Perel says it's not a thing that you do, but it's a place that you go. Where do you go when you're in sex and eroticism in an imagination rhythm nation space? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because human beings are the only animals that can have repetitive, beautiful, blissful orgasms. Never touch another human being just because we imagined it. Sure. Right. And so I try to help my clients feel a sense of autonomy and agency in imagining desire, because I also think too that extends as an almost auric field, where you know how people walk in and they just have that je ne sais quoi, what is it, right? I think these are people who imagine sexuality and eroticism as a place of pleasure, knowing full well the risk. Maybe they've been survivors, they could have had trauma, there could have been abuse and harassment, and still they say, you know what? It's not enough for me to just be not dead, I want to be alive. And that's why Esther Perel says that the erotic is the antidote to death. Yeah. Right. I believe that. Yes. So really quickly, I'll just say in the time that we have that um, the erotic mind unlocking the inner sources of passion and fulfillment by Jack Morin would be a book that I would recommend for people to research. And then the second book is by Octavio Paz. He was a Mexican essayist, essayist and stormy. He wrote the most beautiful poems on eroticism. Mm. Ugh, because it's like, I don't even know, how do I start, you know, imagining sexuality as imagining, you know, as a space of fantasy, because we're so used to the form that sex takes, right? How long, how hard, how fast, how many, performance, function, utility, get it done, results. Right. Whereas the artists are like, no, no, it's not about the picture frame. It's about the picture. Mm -hmm. 
but let's think about the picture of sex. That book will help you do it. And you'll also get the sexual excitement survey from that work. And with that, I conclude my analysis of the arc of intimacy because I know we're short for time. Yay. This was so fun. Oh, it's so fun. You are beautiful. I always knew this, obviously, because of our previous interactions, but you are an amazing speaker, Storm. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I am amazing. honing that right now. I've just decided to own it and hone it. Yes. Own it and hone it, baby. No, you are so good at what you do. Yes. Go ahead. Thank you so much. I'm just so pumped that you came over, and I feel like this topic was it's got good shelf life around here. We're going to be able to come back to this over and over and over again and look at and investigate for ourselves, these relational houses and where we're at, you know, and I think about that in the life span of humans, we get to come back and look at these over and over again as we get older and we change and maybe your boobs aren't where you left them two years ago. You know, what do you do now? What's the new picture of trust in your own body and in sex and all of these things. So I hopefully, um, I feel like you guys got a lot out of it. I hope you did. Hopefully put that in the comment section down. Yes. Oh my gosh. And anytime you want to come back, and talk about Sorry. anything. Anytime, honey. And I'm just like, I'm going to bring the pizza with Marie and be like, hey, get over here. We got to talk to Auntie Stormy over here. Come on. And we'll <laughs> just talk and we'll like have the, the pizza, the lasagna, all of it. Because we need to have an Italian dinner night. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You know what? We really do have to do that. You, me, Maria. And we can just do astrology in the kitchen. Oh, it would be <laughs> so good. Well, and she always wanted to have an astrology kind of cooking show. So I know that would be perfect. Oh, I love it. No, I can already feel the synergy. And I just want to thank you for your contributions to the astrological field. I think who you are and what you stand for and the connections and the community that you're building deserves so much recognition. And I'm so grateful for you and what you're doing to keep those connections alive in a moment where we really need all the spiritual solutions that we can get. So thank you for rising to the excellence of your impeccability and showing us how it's done. Oh, thank you. That is Oh, I'm so humbled. Truly, truly, you're amazing at what you do. And I think it needs, especially because it's, it's, it's socially connecting, which is a, a skill and a technique that often goes undervalued because it's a soft skill. Like, no, you know exactly what you're doing. And it's an honor to bear witness and to be in that space with you. Oh, now you can definitely come back. <laughs> <laughs> Flattery. No, no. I'm like, stop. Stop, but keep going, right? Stop and say more, right? And listen, I told you, Capricorn Moon, we don't give that shit away for free. That okay? is right. So but I, I love accept. you. I accept. accept it. All right, you guys, we are going to wrap up here. We'll make sure everything is in the description box, including Colin's links. The books, we'll put those down there as well. Colin, do you have anything cool coming up? We need to plug. What are you doing? Where are you going to be? Uh, nothing, nothing cool coming up just yet because the, the readings have been so all-consuming, which is wonderful. You know, people really need the conversations right now. But thank you for asking. If anything changes, I'll let you know immediately. Absolutely. So also, even though Colin is like probably booked to his ears, I'm going to put his links to find and maybe sit and do a session with him. If yes. there's some healing, you feel like you're called towards him or if Colin is your teacher and uh, you found that out today, we'll make sure that you can find him for sure. All right. Beautiful. All right, you guys. I love you. We will see you later this afternoon where we have Chris and Gary coming in. So it is a day of astrology knowledge, my friends. So I love you guys and we will see you next time. Bye everyone.